I never met my grandfather on my mum's side. He, he died, I think it was a year or so before I was born. Maybe that's why I was so interested in hearing stories about him that my mum told. One of those was about the time that she came down with appendicitis. She was in real pain and so an ambulance was called to take her to hospital for an emergency surgery. And as she was just young, her, uh, my grandfather, her dad, went with her in the ambulance. But all the way into the hospital, as my mum was in agony with appendicitis, my, da- and my grandfather spent the time telling her about all the people who he knew who had died from appendicitis. <laughs> Not the most comforting thing to hear at that time. But I think we can sympathise with him. Because it's often really difficult to know how to help somebody in that kind of situation, isn't it? We want to say something useful and something encouraging. But often we end up saying the opposite. That's a bit like Job's friends. It's easy to vilify them as useless and and uncaring. Job himself said about them, miserable comforters are you all. As we'll see over the, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll see why in more detail. And so these days, to be called a Job's comforter is a disparaging term. It means someone who aggravates distress under the guise of giving comfort. But I think we need to be careful when we think about Job's friends, Job's comforters. They were real friends, and it seems like they were trying to help. So we're going to have a little little look at them this morning. Not so much about what they said, but a, a little bit before that. And learn, hopefully, to try to follow some of the good that they did, but also how to avoid the crucial mistake that led them to become such miserable comforters. So we're going to read from Job chapter 2, just a few verses, Job chapter 2, verse 11 to 13, and Caroline is going to come and she's going to read for us. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Thank you very much, Caroline. We're not given that much background information about these three men. They're introduced here as Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite. Eliphaz is probably the oldest. And so he's mentioned first here. He also speaks first in the cycle of speeches that happen throughout the book. And when God is going to speak to the three friends, he speaks to Eliphaz as the the representative of the others. Eliphaz was a Temanite. 
which probably means that he was from Edom, a place renowned for its wisdom. But Bildad and Zophar, they're from a place called Shua and Nema, and nobody is really sure, really certain where those places were. So we don't know much of the background information about these three guys. But what we do know is, they were described as Job's three friends. And friends, in the Old Testament, doesn't just mean acquaintances, or somebody they just knew. It's not like a Facebook friend. A friend in the Old Testament was somebody who was deeply connected with them. Somebody who would strong bonds of love. And these guys showed this love when they heard about Job and all of the suffering that he'd endured. It says in verse 11, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. They didn't just meet up to talk about Job. They didn't just send a card or flowers. They put their own life on hold. They set aside their own agendas and they visited their friend. The Apostle John in his letter in 1 John 3.18 says this, Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. It's too easy, isn't it, to talk about loving other people. It's easy to say that we love other people. We can so easily talk about the compassion that we have for those who are going through difficult times. But biblical love is not an empty sentiment. It's not a pri- primarily an emotion. Instead, it's an action. It's about reaching out in care for someone. It's seen primarily in what we do. And that's because that's what God's love is like. John, in a couple of verses earlier in his letter, he says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus showed us what real love is like when he sent, when he set out from heaven to come to us. When he laid down his life for us. And he calls us to follow in his footsteps by laying down our lives for each other. That's what love is, according to the Bible. So I guess the question we have is, is there somebody that we need to set out to share God's love with today? Is there somebody on our minds, on our hearts, that we know is going through a really tough time, and we know that we need to express God's love by going to be with them in their time of need. So the three friends, they they set out to, to meet Job. But the next verse, verse 12 says, that when they saw him from a distance, 
they could hardly recognize him. And that's, of course, no wonder. Because the last time that they'd seen this man, their friend Job, he was the greatest man among all the people of the East, as it says in chapter 1. He was a wealthy man with thousands of animals and servants, surrounded by his loving wife and kids, and respected by everybody in the community. But now he was a broken man, destitute, alone and despised, living on a smouldering rubbish dump with his skin covered in sores. Job's brokenness was obvious. But the brokenness of people around us is not always so obvious. Sometimes it is, of course, but sometimes it's not. Other people's lives around us might not look like Job's did. On the outside, they might look healthy and happy and and wealthy. But God sees their deeper need. This is what Matthew 9, verse 36 says about Jesus. That when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the crowd with with the deeper and clearer perspective. He saw their spiritual poverty. They were lost and alone, separated from God, in desperate need of a Savior. So I wonder what do we see when we look around the people around us? Do we see their need? Do we really see the need of others, even if they're living a a good life, enjoying a happy time? Do we really see them in the way that Jesus saw them? And if we do, do we care? Do we care about the people around us? Job's three friends clearly did. Verse 12 goes on to say that when they saw him, they began to weep aloud. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. These were all cultural expressions of grief. Weeping loudly, loudly expressing the depth of their sorrow. Tearing their robes just as Job had done. Remember the day that he got all of that bad news, one after the other, how he tore his robes. And then putting dust on their heads. A sign of mourning. As God said to Adam, dust you are and to dust you will return. So I think that dust on their heads is a sign of of mourning, of, of loss, of death. So, when we read later, in later chapters, about what Job's friends said, we might be shocked about how insensitive they are, how even cruel they sound. 
But we'd really be wrong in thinking that these men didn't care about Job. They felt his pain. They mourned with him. This was actually one of the things that they'd come to do. They said they were going to set out to sympathise with him. Which means to enter into, to share in his grief. That's what they'd come to do and that's what they were doing. And that's what we're called to do as well. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. This is what love does. It celebrates another person's blessing. Not with envy, not with jealousy, not with, well, why is that, where are they getting that, not me. But it celebrates with a blessing. But it also suffers with another person's brokenness. It is willing to step into their grief. Share in their pain. Now, of course, the danger is that we can be overwhelmed with that. There's so much sorrow and and sadness that's happening in this world that we could just be overwhelmed by all of the grief and sadness and we just wouldn't survive. wouldn't be any good to anybody. But we don't need to do that. We don't need to be overwhelmed with that because we can depend on the one who understands all of our weaknesses and sympathizes with all of us. Do you remember when we were looking through the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. It goes on to say, then let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Jesus, he's our great high priest. He's in heaven. But he's not distant and removed from us. He understands our struggles. He feels our pain. He suffers with us. And so ultimately, as we suffer along with others, we need to bring them to Jesus. Because it's Jesus who can give them the grace and the mercy that ultimately they need in their life. It's Jesus who ultimately gives us the grace and the mercy that we need to keep going in this world full of suffering. These three friends, they set out to Job. They saw him. They sympathized with him. But do you see what they they did next? Verse 13. Then they sat on the ground for seven days and seven nights. They sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. These were distinguished men in our community. They no doubt had loads of other things they could have done with that week. But they were willing to sit on the ground with their friend for all that time. They didn't stay at a distance and weep. 
They didn't just come for a flying visit. They humbled themselves and stepped down to where they, where their friend was. And they stayed with him there. In the ashes. This is what Jesus did so extraordinarily. John chapter 1 verse 14. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. Jesus, he is the eternal son of God. He is in very nature God. And yet he didn't hold on to his own splendor and glory. Instead he made himself nothing. Stepping down into humanity. Becoming one of us. And living with us in this sin-cursed and fallen world. This is the the miracle of the incarnation. Uh, I know that we often reserve talking about that to Christmas. But this is a miracle that we should be rejoicing every day. That Jesus came to be our Emmanuel. He came to be our God with us. In our mess, in our pain, in our rubbish dump. And the great news is he still wants to be with us through the person of his Spirit. It's what Jesus said in John chapter 14. I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. Jesus has not left us alone. If we put our trust in Jesus, then we have the Holy Spirit who comes to live with us, to stay with us, not just for a week, but forever. And then ultimately, Jesus is coming back again one day to take us to be with him forever in heaven. Where the incredible promise is this. Revelation 21. Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. So much we don't know about heaven. We could speculate and dream and and discuss or imagine what we think heaven is going to be like. What it's going to look like. What our experience is going to be like in heaven. But this is the core reality. Heaven is so great because better than ever before, God will be with us. So those three friends sitting down and being with Job in the dust They were reflecting God's heart to be with us. They were reflecting God's desire to live and dwell with us. And we are called to do the same. When people are hurting, it's so good to give them a phone call, send a text or WhatsApp. To express our love and care. Those little messages 
like that, they can have such a profound impact on somebody who's going through pain and suffering and feels that complete isolation and separation. But if possible, and if appropriate, it's so much better to be with them. To give them our presence, our attention, our time. Again, the book of Hebrews says, let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. That's what we do. That's what we're called to do when people are hurting. To go and to be the expression of God's heart to them. To go and to be the incarnation of God's love to them. It's not just a model for when we're dealing with the hurting though. It's also at the very heart of our mission. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And this ultimately calls us to come and to sit down with people. Yes, we can use technology like Facebook and YouTube like we're doing this morning to share the gospel. We can go and distribute literature around the doors as we do, as we'll do as we come up to Christmas. And God can work through all of those ways. But ultimately, we are called to be incarnational in our mission. Disciple making, following the example of Jesus, is to be with people. To give them our time. To share our lives together. And to point them to the one who came to be with them. So Job's friends came to sit down with them for seven days. And incredibly, they did this in silence. Did you notice that in verse 13? No one said a word to him. Now, there are different ideas about this. Some people think that this was Job's friends kind of ignoring Job. Like mourning for him as if he was already dead. Other people think that this was the best thing that they could have done. That it was a shame that they didn't just keep silent all the way through. And it was a shame that they actually opened their mouth. I think this is how Job felt in the middle of his argument with them. This is what he said in Job 13. If only you would be altogether silent for you, that would be wisdom. Kind of cheeky. But I think, I think the, the situation is a bit more complex than either of those extremes. It does seem that their silence was a good thing at the start, at least. They kept silent, not because they were treating them as dead. I don't think that's the case. Nor because they didn't have anything they could say. But it says, they kept silent, verse 13, because they saw how great his suffering was. Their silence was out of the recognition of the depth of Job's suffering. To sit down and immediately launch into speaking to him would have been to minimize his pain. To ignore the intensity of his suffering. 
See this in the book of Lamentations, chapter 2, in response to the overwhelming nature of God's judgment on the city of Jerusalem. It says in verse 10 that the elders of the daughters of, Z- of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They've sprinkled dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. In that case, the destruction of Jerusalem was just so devastating that stunned silence was the only appropriate response. And I think that's what these three friends did. They just sat there in silence. Probably also as a sign of respect. The custom of the day was that when you were going to meet a bereaved person, that you would allow the bereaved person to speak first. A sign of respect. It's a lovely tradition. So they let Job speak first, as he did in chapter 3, as we'll see next week. It's an important lesson for us to learn, isn't it? That we're, we're so uncomfortable often with silence. Awkward silence is how we put it, don't we? You ever been in a situation where there's an awkward silence, a pause in the, the conversation, and, and you just want to say something just to fill the gap? Especially in situations of grief. So we speak before we truly understand what somebody's going through. Or before we really get something worthwhile to say. Sometimes silence is appropriate. In his letter, James spoke about the problems that come because of what we, how we use our tongue, of what we say. And so he taught everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak slow to become angry. Jesus spoke some powerful words. Incredible words. Nobody has ever spoken like Jesus has. And yet sometimes it was was his silence that spoke so profoundly. The verse after the, the one that Jason read to us at Communion says that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before our shearers is silent, so he did not, he did not open his mouth. The silence of Jesus in the face of all of his false accusers spoke volumes. So sometimes we need to keep silent. So like David did, I've often prayed Psalm 141 verse 3. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Please, Lord, don't let me say anything that I shouldn't say. Help me to be even willing just to be silent and to listen if that's what I need to do. Their silence was important. But that doesn't mean that that was all that they should have done. They came to do more than just sit silently with Job. Not only come to sympathize with him, to enter into their and share in his grief, but they also set out to comfort him. And the idea in the Bible of comfort is to speak into people's hearts and minds so you can change their hearts and minds. Change how they think, change how they are 
they're addressing an issue or thinking about an issue. Now, of course, they couldn't fix job situation. They couldn't bring back all those that he'd lost. They couldn't heal his body. But they didn't want to leave job exactly the way that they found him. They wanted to help him. They wanted to encourage him. They wanted to support him. And for that, they needed to speak to him. And as we'll see later, that's what they did. They spoke to Job. And they spoke to Job about God. They believed that what would comfort Job the most was to hear the truth about God. You see that in Jesus' life too. A couple of weeks ago, Tony was, was talking about Martha, if you were here. When Martha was grieving for her brother Lazarus, Jesus wept with her and her sister. But he also spoke to her. We're sharing this actually with our, our kids in kids' church this week. Our kids' club, sorry. How Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. To this woman who was grieving, this was such amazing news to hear. Jesus believed in the value of speaking God's truth into broken hearts. And when he sent the Holy Spirit to be another counselor, another comforter, he said that one of the ways that he would do this is he will guide you into all truth. What we ultimately need when we are suffering is the truth of Jesus. It's His truth that consoles us and encourages us and strengthens us. And we are called to share that comforting truth with others. To comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. To share the truth that God has shared to us and encourage our hearts to pass that on to others. And so after teaching the, the Thessalonian church of the, the truth of the second coming of Jesus, Paul said, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage each other with these words. Now, of course, we need to be careful how we share this. How we do this is so important. When Paul wrote to Timothy and told him to preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage, he also said, do it with great patience and careful instruction. We need to be very careful how we speak. As we speak God's truth, we need to share it in God's love, according to God's wisdom, and in God's timing. If we're going to help other people, we need to be guided by the Holy Spirit in how we speak this truth. But the problem with Job's friends wasn't that they spoke and it wasn't because, the problem wasn't that they spoke about God. The problem with Job's friends was, they didn't share God's truth. 
Yes, they said a lot of things that were true. But they got got some important things wrong. We know that because God said so. Don't need to take my word for it. God said to Eliphaz, You have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So that's why we need to be really careful when we're reading through the book of Job. Because these friends, they say a lot of good things about God that we want to agree with. We want to say, yes, absolutely. But they also said a lot of stuff that was completely wrong. And that's why their teaching is so dangerous. Why it's so destructive. I heard recently someone say this, that false teaching is more dangerous the more truth it contains. Do you hear that? False teaching is more dangerous the more truth it contains. The reason why? Well, if something is obviously wrong, we can see through it and we'll reject it completely. But it's those subtle errors, those deceptive lies that initially sound kind of right. They're the most dangerous in our Christian lives. We'll see in a couple of weeks what that teaching was. We're not going to have a look at it this morning. But this is the reason why these friends were such miserable comforters. Despite all the good things that they did. Yes, they got so much right. They set out in love. They saw him in his need. They sympathized with him in his suffering. They stay, they sat down with him in his grief. They stayed silent out of understanding and respect. And they even spoke about God, believing that God was the one that Job needed the most. But they failed in that last and final crucial step. What they said did not match with God's truth. And that is why they did more harm than good. So we need to be really careful here as we seek to comfort others in the struggle that they're going through. As we seek to comfort others with the comfort that we have received, we need to make sure that we love actively that we recognize their need, that we suffer with them, that they're willing to be with them, and that we are slow to speak. But we mustn't miss out that final and crucial step of sharing God's truth. Not sharing our own ideas, not sharing the, the wisdom of this world, but sharing God's truth. Because what hurting people need the most is the truth of Christ.